welcome to the Visceral Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Christine Schneider. Every two weeks on this podcast, I talk with voice specialists, manual therapists, health specialists, psychotherapists, movement practitioners, and professional voice users about voice science, function, medication, movement, puberty and aging, and everything in between. I am on a quest not only to become a better manual therapist, but also to learn everything I can about the living, breathing body and its intricate connection to the voice. This podcast documents the continuation of my learning and my experience as a professional singer, a nutritional consultant, and a manual therapist. Join me every two weeks as we strive to provide current, knowledgeable, creative, and compassionate information to help restore, regain, and create happiness and success in your vocal journey. Max Vishnev is a New York City-based entrepreneur, happily married father of two, home cook, licensed tour guide, and integrative nutrition health coach. His professional journey has been full of interesting turns, which you will soon hear, which have taken him from Wall Street to tourism and e-commerce, and more recently, to health coaching and integrative nutrition. Here you are, my conversation with Max Vishnev. Today, I'm very excited that I am here with Max. First of all, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for for joining us. Hello. (laughs) I'm going to let you kind of go ahead and explain what, what was life like before you started City Rover, and then we'll kind of chat about City Rover and Max Health Lifestyle. Awesome. So I don't want to bore the audience with my whole life story, so I'll just, I guess, <laughs> focus on the, maybe my 20s. Yeah, great. Um, so before I became an entrepreneur, I was in the corporate world, and after college, worked for a giant financial firm for six years, Morgan Stanley, and the last few of those years was in Times Square in a skyscraper working on a huge trading desk and long hours and I was doing my graduate degree part-time in the evening at NYU. So life was basically uh, running around a lot, spending very little time in my crappy uh, studio apartment on the Upper West Side. (laughs) I was relatively healthy but uh, wasn't mindful uh, at all about, you know, sleep quality or stress level, eating okay but certainly, you know, relatively speaking had, could have improved a lot. But I think the fact that I was in my 20s, exercising a lot, pretty fit, uh, you know, I had no major problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, that kept going till after the financial crisis and then 2008 hit and I started to reevaluate my life and that kind of led me on the path I've been on for the last decade. Great. And so if you'll just kind of talk to us a little bit about City Rover first since that was your first company and you can kind of explain what that is for any listeners who don't sure. know about City Rover. Sure. Yeah, so City Rover is just a small tour business I started about nine years ago, actually. And we do private walking tours in New York City, and they're customized and tailored to the client. So I started that, actually, so to connect it back to the financial crisis, I uh, decided to leave about nine months after Lehman Brothers collapsed and the whole fiasco that followed, and my firm uh, stopped paying for my graduate degree, so that was kind of the last straw for me. So mm. I decided my way out was to basically study abroad, which was something I always wanted to do. So I Where got into go? went to Barcelona. Oh, got into a business nice. school there and finished my degree there as an exchange student and traveled a lot and met a lot of people and improved my Spanish a lot. And um, as the semester was winding down, I didn't want to go back to New York and go back to the corporate grind and do the typical financial stuff I was supposed to do with this, uh, especially with the new MBA. And I was just really bummed about it because you know, I was in my late 20s and was supposed to follow a certain path, particularly 
only child, only grandchild, kind of a you know the typical immigrant story. A lot of pressure on me to to do the conventional and climb the corporate ladder. And I just I was really bummed about not wanting to do those things. So I came back and having caught the travel bug, I was like, why can't I do something travel related but in my own city? Mm. Replicate my experience abroad, but do it as a venture here. So it took about a year of trial and error for any anyone listening who wants to become an entrepreneur. Success doesn't happen overnight, and sometimes your early ideas don't work out, but they're stepping stones, yeah. you know, to pivot to eventually uh, something that works. It took me about a year, and uh, yeah, it's been eight years since then. So yeah. that was. And you were kind of one of the first walking tours in New York City, right? Well, no, there were others, but I was I, I was able to carve out a niche between you know the double deckers and the the walking tours with the huge groups with the the guy with the flag and the microphone. Mm-hmm. And the really expensive, kind of like the limo type thing to carve out a niche for customized, private, small group, mm-hmm. intimate. And so, yeah, Good. that was eight years ago. Yeah. And then then you started your second company, which is Max Health Lifestyle, right. which is why we are here today yes. discussing nutrition. Thank so. you. So that's, um, that's more of a health coaching and wellness business. And I started uh, last year. So it's my uh, much newer, much younger venture. Um, so that that was a little bit more directly tied to my family and uh, a little bit more dramatic uh, in terms of the idea behind it. So I'll, I'll make it concise for your listeners, but basically I started reading more and more about nutrition and, and health. And one of the books I read uh, was The China Study uh, by T. Colin Campbell, mm-hmm. which you haven't, if you haven't read, you should check out. Uh, it's one of the largest nutritional studies uh, conducted um, to on humans yeah. to date. And that was really eye-opening. And I gave it to my wife, Julia, and she read it as well. And we both decided after the book to cut out dairy as a family based on what was you know, written in the book. And coincidentally, around the same time, our son, who now is four and a half, he was about three and a half at the time, mm-hmm. he was struggling a lot at night with very bad snoring, very bad breathing problems. And he was diagnosed after a couple of doctors and sleep studies and tests. He was diagnosed with severe sleep apnea, like off the charts. And uh, we had two months to wait for the surgery to shave down his tonsils and adenoids. And he would ha- he would have to stay overnight and get anesthesia. And we we're really concerned, but we wanted to get it done so he can you know he could sleep normally. Mm-hmm. And then cutting out dairy within a month, we saw a dramatic improvement in his sleep quality. So his, the snoring went from you know obese old man drunk on the couch level to like. I can still hear him, but it's much, much better. Mm-hmm. And by the time the surgery day rolled around, so two months later, he was sleeping relatively normally, just within two months. Yeah. So it was this eye-opening experience, and we canceled the surgery date. You know, he's this ha- happy, healthy boy. You know, still gets colds, obviously, and gets runny noses when he gets sick. But other than that, he's um, he doesn't have off-the-charts happening anymore, and we were able to avoid surgery. So it was that experience a very personal one, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, what's more personal than your kids, that opened my eyes to the link between what we put in our bodies and how we feel, mm-hmm. right, or how our kids feel or our parents. And I started researching and doing more reading, and I'm like, what can I do with this? I want to spread the word and, and share this message. And so I, you know, did a lot of Googling and basically realized there's a field called health coaching. So I decided to become a health coach. So did a course through um, Institute for Integrative Nutrition and did a course through eCornell, uh, focused specifically on nutrition and um, doing more more uh, 
continue education this year. So yeah. it's been it's been a fun journey so far. Excellent. So Max and I have known each other for about six years now, yeah. and over the course of our friendship, we sort of each time we get together, we geek out a little bit more and a little bit more about nutrition. I've been in involved and I, I love talking about nutrition and also playing with my diet. For those of you who know me, I play with my diet a lot. Like every month I'm doing something different. It's, it's like a game to me. It's really fun. And so we just, especially over the past two years or so, each time we saw each other it was more and more discussion about nutrition. And it just started, you know, each time we saw each other, I'd be like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> We're on the same brave way, brave link, brave, Brainwave. Brainwave brain link. Brainwave link. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. I just want to say for your audience's sake, uh, you put me back together about five years ago. I had some severe jaw problems related to my musculature. And uh, as a tour guide, I was talking a lot and not practicing self-care. No clue about stretching or vocal exercises. So you really, I have to thank you a lot for your audience because <laughs> you really put me back together and I was able to function and, and carry out my you know, my role because I was like <laughs> distorted, jaw skewed, I could barely eat. So yeah. thank you. Oh man, my yeah. pleasure. Thank you for that. And also to those of you who know that, you know, sometimes we're obviously a professional voice user and we know that we are. And then there are some professional voice users who actually don't recognize that they're professional voice users. So that was sort of, if you don't yeah, mind me saying, for that sure, was sort of For Max. sure, I had no clue. He was doing tours he was using his voice for three hour tours sometimes three six hours yeah yeah sometimes twice a day and when he came in it was like well you're you're using your voice all the time that's a professional voice user you depend on your voice for your job and so that was really cool right. to to have that journey together and to rec recognition that yeah tour guides are professional voice users too so yeah it's cool i still do the exercises you uh, you show me yay yeah. you're a good student yes thank you <laughs> So right. last we met, Max gave me a list of several books, which I read, and Why We Sleep was such yeah. an oh, eye-opening book. book for me. That what is, Who's the author? Good job on reading it. Uh, Professor Matt Walker. Matt Walker, yeah. Phenomenal. It literally changed. It went from me having nutrition and exercise at the top of my pillars of health to sleep at the absolute top of my, of my pillars of health. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm big on sleep. Yeah. With two, little <laughs> kids we'll at, to. with two little kids at home, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in your opinion, I just mentioned yeah. the pillars of health. In your opinion, what are the pillars of optimal health? So this is not rocket science. When I say it, it'll be pretty obvious. We mm -hmm. just mentioned most of them. But, you know, people think of health and they oftentimes think of like, okay, I need to eat this superfood or mm -hmm. I need to uh, take this supplement. But it's it, it's a holistic approach, right? You can have the best diet in the world, mm -hmm. follow all the, the scientific studies and the best guidelines, and eat all the check marks, so to speak. But if you're sleeping six hours a night constantly, mm -hmm. and you're running around all the time, stressed out, anxious, and you don't have time for self-care, um, you don't have time to nurture important relationships, you're not going to be at your best. Mm -hmm. You're not going to feel at your best. You're not gonna, your your long-term health outlook will be impacted. So I would say that the key ones are not in, in any particular order, but what you eat, you know, what you drink, how much you sleep, how you manage stress, how much you move. It doesn't have to be weightlifting. It could be yoga. It could be walking. It could be running, biking, whatever you like. And also, I, I call it, I bucket it under love because you could put multiple things under that one bucket mm -hmm. and it's easy to remember. So it could be love for other people, mm -hmm. 
right? Like having important relationships in your life where you, you nurture them. It could be love for what you do, right? Having a passion for something you do. So you're like, oh crap, it's Monday, I hate my job. <laughs> right? Having, so a sense of purpose would be part of that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, love for certain hobbies, right? Things you do when you're not working. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think that's important too. Because if you can have the other f- pillars, but if you don't have any of what I just mentioned last, like you're, you know, you're going to be complaining about the job you hate. You're going to yeah. be bored because you don't have anything you enjoy doing outside of work. Um, you're going to be longing for some kind of source of love in your life, whether it's friends or a partner or Yeah, some sense of family. happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd say that's probably it. Yeah. Among the performing industry or in the performing industry, one of the chief complaints that we hear, at, at least in forms of dietarily, is acid reflux. So would you have a bit of advice for that? Sure. Uh, yeah, so first of all, that's an important question because I, I suffered from acid reflux for many, many years. And now it's really not an issue for me anymore. And I think that's due to many different factors, but uh, I'll, I'll give you a, f- a, few, a few things. First of all, there's no one ideal diet for everyone because we're all individual. And we have different genetic <laughs> backgrounds and um, predispositions and body types and needs. So I would say, yeah, there's definitely no one universal ideal diet. Secondly, I think with acid reflux, putting aside a a specific diet, there are a few things all of us can do to reduce the frequency or the severity of the symptoms. So if you struggle with acid reflux, there are a few things you could do that are no-brainers, right? And it's not rocket science, but it's basic stuff. But it's being aware of your habits and linking some of your habits to your symptoms where you start to see okay, wow, like I got to make a change here. So for example, New Yorkers, right? We're running all the time and we're eating on the go. Mm -hmm. And I used to be in that camp all the time. Bagel Mm -hmm. in one hand, coffee in the other, running to the subway, right? Mm -hmm. When you're eating on the go, you're not actually allowing your body to digest properly, Mm -hmm. right? Because your anxiety level is probably also a little spiked. You're, uh, like you said, you're in the flight flight or uh, fight mode. So you're you're in your sympathetic uh, nervous system mode. you're supposed to be sitting down and like eating your food and allowing your body to digest, not running and eating. Mm-hmm. So that's one, stop eating on the run mm-hmm. if you have symptoms. Two, um, don't eat right before bed. I would say give yourself at least two hours before bedtime mm-hmm. to allow your body to digest because even a small meal, it takes your body two to three hours to break down, right? Um, so yeah, don't eat right before bed. That also means, and that's you know, unfortunately gonna affect a lot of people, snacking late at night, right? Like mm-hmm. if you had dinner at seven, but it, now it's 10 o'clock, you're streaming Netflix, you're like, oh, I want to snack on something. Well, eating the bag of the half bag of chips or whatever at 10, and then wrapping that up at 11, your body's still digesting that at 1 a.m., maybe mm-hmm. 2 a.m., right? Mm-hmm. So if you go to bed at midnight, and you're like, oh man, I have heartburn. Well, it might be the bag of chips at 10, mm-hmm. right? So watch the late night snacking. Don't do strenuous activity right after you eat. And that includes even just bending over to tie your shoelace. Like if you have a full stomach, think about not bending down right away mm-hmm. or not going to the gym 20 minutes after you eat a full meal. Like let your body digest. Yeah. One other thing that comes to mind is don't drink. And I try to discourage my four and a half year old, but he's not listening. <laughs> don't drink. And I was in the habit as a kid as well. And a lot of adults stay in that habit. Don't drink liquids when you're eating. Drink mm-hmm. before, drink after, but don't drink during. So if you're used to having like a juice or or water or something else while you're eating, try to maybe get out of that habit, get hydrated before, wait a little bit, eat, then maybe drink after. But when you're drinking during, 
all that liquid is basically diluting the, the, the acid in your stomach and it takes much longer for your body to break down that meal. Mm -hmm. So if you're experiencing acid reflux after you eat, uh, you know, look at your drinking habits when you're eating. Yeah. And speaking of drinking habits, coffee and alcohol could be factors as well. So if you're drinking a lot of coffee mm -hmm. or maybe you're drinking you know, alcohol every night and you have acid reflux, that could be a factor as well. So just uh, the last thing I want to say about that is a food journal would be huge for people that suffer from acid reflux because sure. if you start writing down what you're eating, what you're drinking, and when you're doing that, and then the symptoms, you could start to draw a trend. Mm -hmm. A week later, two weeks later, you'd be like, you know what, I tend to get acid reflux or heartburn you know, every time after X. Yeah. But I think writing it down helps. Yeah. And then the elimination, you know, you can try the elimination diet. True. And Take something out, you know, one at a time and then add it back in. Something that we find in manual therapy is there are often different kind of pathologies or issues that come up with each of our organs. And stomach is often kind of our social. Where do we fit in socially? And we see acid reflux diagnosis a lot with the like mid-20s to mid-30s range, mm -hmm. which is right emotionally when we're trying to deal with where we fit in. What am I going to do for work? Can I get work? I'm working my butt off at auditions, but when is the show going to come along? What, you know, all of these aspects of, of stress that say like, where do I, f I know what I want to do, but where do I kind of fit in with my job and where do I fit in with the social networks and all of that. So there is kind of that emotional component that could be related to. And then I also want to say with acid reflux, just because you're diagnosed with acid reflux, if they see inflammation on your cords, you might be diagnosed with acid reflux. You could have muscular tension that's causing inflammation on your cords and it doesn't mean you have acid reflux. My mentor says it's about 20% of acid reflux diagnosis is actually accurate. 20%, that's wow. crazy, <clears throat> if that's accurate. So what are your thoughts on CBD, the whole CBD trend, CBD oil, <clears throat> adding kind of CBD into, added in for inflammation, inflammatory issues, um, all of the other things that people are adding CBD oil into there. Yeah. Uh, well, you use a good word, trend. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of trends in, in uh, you know, the dietary world and nutrition. Um, I think I would be careful because it's unregulated right now. Mm -hmm. So what's in the bottle may not actually be what's on the label. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there are not uh, many uh, studies on humans on the efficacy mm -hmm. to treat whether it's uh, sleeplessness or anxiety or inflammation. So I would say just you know, be careful and talk to your doctor. And get a yeah. good brand. Like yeah. make sure that you're buying from uh, a, reputable, a, yeah, yeah. a reputable company. Yeah, but the other thing I want to say, and this... This is just about supplements in general, but including CBD oil. Is a lot of people look at uh, the latest hot topic mm -hmm. uh, that comes in a bottle as a, a sort of cure-all, like this is going to cure my ills. But oftentimes, curing your ills isn't just as simply as simple as taking a pill from a bottle, whether it's a supplement or CBD oil or something else, and it often distracts you from the things you need to do to improve your health. Mm -hmm. So, for example, with inflammation, right? There's a ton of things that could be contributing to inflammation. Mm -hmm. Look at lack the lack of sleep, lack of sleep, <laughs> chronic stress. Yeah, you know, inflammatory foods in your diet. So, look at the underlying causes 
that can potentially alleviate the inflammation mm -hmm. or the anxiety or the sleeplessness. Right. And maybe look at certain habit changes you need to do instead of focusing on, okay, here's a quick fix, here's a solution, which, which, which might, might work, might not work at all for you. Mm -hmm. right? Or in some cases might, not necessarily in CBD oil's case, but in general, some, in some cases might actually do harm too. Mm -hmm. right? So be careful basically. And, yeah, you know. and know your source yeah. and talk to your doctor before starting any kind of CBD. Yeah. And supplements, you kind of had mentioned supplements. Yeah, so supplements, it's, uh, it could be a, a longer topic, but uh, besides what I just said about CBD oil, so supplements have their place. The one thing to avoid is being the, the person, you know, I saw a lot of this in my corporate days. There were people who opened up a drawer, you know what I'm about to say, mm -hmm. and there were all these bottles, and, you know, there was the multivitamin and the fish oil and this and that, and that's fine you know, like, by itself, but when you have a whole drawer of them, you're probably using that as a crutch mm -hmm. and not really focusing on uh, actual nutrition, right? Like the, the food you're actually putting in your body. So, so I would say there's definitely a place for supplements, and I want to jump into what kind of supplements specifically people should be concerned about. But just don't overdo it where supplements take the place of real food. Right, right, unless you're actually like working with a doctor of functional medicine who has your blood work and, yeah. and you're on a strict autoimmune anti-inflammatory sure. diet and you're following it strictly and you're having issues and then this functional doctor is actually with reading your blood work kind of adjusting what supplements i want to uh, just uh, jump in with a couple more points so first of mm -hmm. all get a blood test mm -hmm. at least you'll know if you have any deficiency in certain vitamins or minerals and there's a few things that everyone should think about mm -hmm. and I, I learned this recently uh, i got a blood test in july and i discovered i'm low in vitamin d Mm -hmm. Not deficient. You were also. Oh, I was completely deficient yeah. in vitamin D. Yeah, mine was 21. I think mine was 15. Yeah, so you were. I was just on the cusp yeah. of being deficient. You were. Right. I work in a dark room. Right. Well, I'm a tour guide. <laughs> I'm a tour guide, right? You're out in the sun. I'm out. But then I had, I had to do some research and I realized first of all, living in New York City, given our latitude, between mm -hmm. November and March, we are unable physically to produce enough vitamin D from the sun simply because of where the sun is, mm. November through March. So five months oh. out of 12, our bodies simply cannot produce sufficient vitamin D for what we need. Wow. So a lot of people are vitamin D low or deficient without even knowing it. Right. They're walking around right now in Chelsea. They have no clue. They're riding the subway, listening to podcasts. They have no idea. And they're getting so, super tired and exhausted. Yeah. And, and they are getting all they have to do is take vitamin D. Yeah, and they're getting sick a lot. So vitamin D is crucial. It supports your immune health, right? So if you get sick a lot, it might be a sign of vitamin D deficiency. It, it affects mood, right? So if you feel low, mm -hmm. uh, low energy, maybe even, you know, grumpy, that could be potentially a sign of vitamin D deficiency. So mm -hmm. get your vitamin D checked for sure. Mm -hmm. I take, now I take a quality vitamin D3 supplement, mm -hmm. uh, and I take like 1,000 international units a day. That's key, especially if you live in northern latitudes, New York, Boston, you know, London, etc. Because five months out of 12, you're basically not making it from the wow. sun. There's some good food, food sources as well, especially fatty fish, mm -hmm. some in eggs, but food sources alone are not enough, mm -hmm. unless you're like gorging on salmon. Right. You really need to take a supplement if you live in, not in Miami. Yeah, like you probably Havana. have mercury issues if you got the amount of vitamin right. D that you exactly need, yeah. and omega three that you really need right. from seafood. Then you'd have other problems. So. Yeah. So speaking of omega three, so yeah, so vitamin D for sure for everyone, a quality uh, DHA supplement for uh, long chain omega threes, which are crucial for brain health mm -hmm. and cognitive function, for people that are 
strictly plant-based that are vegan or for people that just don't eat fish, don't like fish, eat, uh, getting a quality DHA supplement is crucial for brain health and who mm -hmm. doesn't want a healthy brain, right? And to yeah. prevent like cognitive decline and dementia. So DHA's, uh, the best source is fatty fish. So I try to eat like wild salmon and wild herring and you can eat anchovies, sardines, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So either get it from wild caught fish preferably, if you can, you know, if you can afford it, or get it from a quality DHA supplement. But uh, it, you cannot get DHA from plants. You get a different type of omega-3, which your body can convert, but only in small amounts. So you really need to think about that, especially if you're vegan. Oh, the third one is B12, vitamin B12. Yeah. So particularly for vegans, uh, but even for omnivores, a lot of people are low in vitamin B12 and not, don't even know it. So get your vitamin Stress. B12 tested as well. Stress, and, and if you're low in vitamin B12, it can really uh, damage your nerves. Vitamin B12 is responsible for producing um, blood cells, support nerve function, support immunity, and even in the making of DNA. Like we need vitamin B12 to make DNA, so it's mm. crucial. Mm. So I would say D, uh, vitamin D, vitamin B12, and uh, uh, DHA, the, yeah. the long chain omega-3. And then, and then and check then your blood yeah. work and see what you need individually. Yeah, so exactly, yeah. right. Great. What has been your greatest professional success? Ooh, these are always the, the toughest. Um, I would say, uh, kind of more broadly speaking, I think my something I'm most proud of, to rephrase your question, is mm -hmm. starting two different ventures in two completely unrelated fields in which I had no prior experience. Mm -hmm. And the reason I, I use that as, as my answer is because I feel like with any successful venture, the hardest part is just getting started, mm -hmm. right? Because you can do all the research you want. You could spend a year on Google or in the library. But if you're not taking the first step, if you're not actually starting it, nothing's going to happen, right? right? You're going to just keep researching. So I think that's something I'm really proud of. It's the, the getting the ball rolling. Yeah. And then so the rest good. will, if you put in the work, the rest will follow. You know? Great. And what do you think has been your greatest professional setback? Uh, that actually... I'm going to confuse your, your audience because I started another venture <laughs> that you don't even know about, or maybe I mentioned it to you at one point. Uh, a few years ago, we started an online, uh, basically an mm. e-commerce store. Yeah, yeah. To kind of, I, I, wanted to, I was trying to branch out from my uh, tour business, and I thought having like an online store focused on New York-themed uh, merchandise would be a good idea. So we did that for two years, and the last year was literally running an e-commerce store out of our apartment in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I was doing everything. So I was running tours. I was, you know, doing all the, the, the administrative stuff. And I was running an online store and dealing with inventory and packaging and shipping and customer service and returns. And it was uh, probably my biggest setback because not only did we end up uh, shutting down the business, which was actually one of the best decisions ever, it sucked up so much of my time mm -hmm. and mental energy and physical energy mm -hmm. that I was like a walking stress ball stressed like uh, had a quick fuse was just irritable and sleep deprived and it really it, it took me away from quality time with family kids I had like a toddler and an infant a uh, newborn at the time so I would say if, if I'm thinking about setbacks that would probably be uh, the one although I did learn a lot from it right but you know if I can go back I probably wouldn't do it just because of how labor intensive and energy intensive it was yeah is there a nutritional myth that you hear a lot that you would want to dispel? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, there's, there's a bunch, um, and a lot of it 
comes down to conventions, right? And like, uh, and also the power of marketing. Mm -hmm. So I would say one that's very close to my heart because of what I told you about my son is dairy. Mm -hmm. And we have been really subjected to, you know, half a century of marketing that milk does the body good, builds strong bones. So on the bones front, there's actually, you can, you know, look at studies where they show that countries where dairy consumption is low have actually lower instances of bone fractures mm-hmm. and hip fractures than in countries where dairy consumption is high. So that completely defies the, the, the strong bones concept. I mean, it, it obviously it has a lot of calcium, but you can also get calcium from legumes, beans, chickpeas, lentils. Uh, you can get calcium from leafy greens. So there's other sources of calcium that don't come from, uh, from a cow. And the milk does a body good thing, actually. That's the most important point. In some cases, it does do a body good, but for most people, so about 75% of the world's population mm-hmm. cannot properly digest lactose, mm-hmm. and particularly certain ethnic groups. So if you have African roots, uh, Asian roots, uh, Latino or Hispanic or native roots, because in, in these cultures, historically, like going back to ancient times, the, the, these people did not traditionally consume milk cow's from milk. mammals, cow's milk. Mm-hmm. The, basically, the, the progeny, you know, 10 generations later or 20 generations, are, they didn't evolve quickly enough. Like, we don't evolve over a thousand years. We evolve over, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. They still are unable to digest. The problem is most people are so unaware of what they're eating and how they're feeling mm-hmm. and the connection right. that you might be downing that, that cheeseburger or the, the, the mac and cheese or the, the milk in a cereal, and then you might have gas or bloating or or constipation or acid reflux or mucus or mucus or whatever diarrhea and you're not tying it to the dairy consumption right. because you're like oh I've always had it mm-hmm. my, my father had it well a lot of things diets run in families do not just uh, the history of diseases so I would say if you have any digestive distress chronic symptoms even skin conditions not necessarily digestive uh, nasal issues chronic congestion mucus buildup you know runny nose etc Try an elimination diet, as you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Ju- you don't have to cut out dairy for the rest of your life, but just for like two weeks, just mm-hmm. cut out dairy, keep a food journal, and write down you know, what you ate and what you're feeling, and you might be surprised. Some of the chronic symptoms you thought you'll live for the rest of your life with you know, might go away because you are sensitive to lactose and you're not, you cannot properly digest it. So mm-hmm. I would say that's a key myth that a lot of people can do well with debunking mm-hmm. because... For a lot of people, milk can cause problems. Yeah. Not to mention potential associations with certain types of cancer related to hormones like breast and ovarian and prostate. So putting aside the cancer risk, just purely like daily symptom-wise, mm-hmm. try it for two weeks, cut it out. If your symptoms subside, great. Keep right. going. If, if, you, if you see no change, you'll bring it back. Yeah. There's also, along the line of dairy, there's A1 and A2, different forms of mutation of a gene within cows. So here in the United States, I think we have predominantly A1. And so sometimes you might be able to have A2. It might not bother you, but A1 does. And pretty much in the United States, we have all of the same cattle. Where in Europe, you might be able to go to Europe and you're like, well, the dairy in Europe doesn't bother me. And the wheat, the gluten in Europe doesn't bother me. And so it is kind of where you are location-wise, it can be that That's a good too. point, yeah. And also, if you like yogurt, try sheep's milk yogurt yeah, or, uh, or goat's goat. milk yogurt. Mm-hmm. Great. Because they don't great. have the mutated gene. That and also we're, uh, it's, we're more likely to digest it. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, yogurt is a quality yogurt is a good source of uh, probiotics, so it's definitely good for the gut. But you know, maybe try an alternative to cow. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say about that, and this is kind of like one of those, huh? For anyone listening, this is something to think about. We are the only species that drinks the hormonal secretions of another mammal. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we're we're biologically programmed to drink the milk of our mother uh, as an infant, and then we're supposed to wean off of that and go to solids. We're the only species that then goes from mother's milk to solids and the milk of another mammal. Right. Which was not obviously evolutionarily designed for humans. It was designed for baby cows to grow into huge cows, right? Right. Or sheep and goats. And so. I had heard, I don't know if this is true, <clears throat> like a long time ago, I had heard that we actually lose the enzymes to to digest Correct. milk. Correct. Lactose, like, yeah. Around three exactly, or four, when yeah. you would be weaned off the mother's breast. Right. Yeah. The lactase enzyme, we lose it around three, and we can't properly break. A lot of us can no longer properly break down lactose, which is why so many people have problems. Yeah. Like I had chronic post-nasal drip for years because I I didn't know that uh, dairy was a problem for me. And now I don't have it. That's just me, obviously. But I'm saying a lot of people can try it for two weeks and see if it changes some of their symptoms. Yeah. Great. In your opinion, what is the most important aspect of optimal health? Is there a Ooh, most important? Like one, one pillar? Uh, that's a tough one. I would say, you know, you mentioned the books, Why We Sleep, and that was kind of really eye-opening for me too. So I would say, if I had to pick one, I would say sleep. Yeah, maybe not the most, let's change that a little bit. Maybe not the most important, but something that you've learned that has been like, wow, I really didn't know that. Oh, After yeah. mine, it was definitely sleep. sleep it was like, yeah. oh my gosh. I mean, right. of course, all, most of our healing yeah. comes when we're sleeping. Sleep has been that for me as well, but uh, you know, not to copy your, your answer. Um, I would say food, but not because, I mean, it's pretty obvious, right, food. But I didn't know how powerful the link is between food and annoying minor chronic symptoms, mm-hmm. but also the association between food and major debilitating chronic diseases. So like, I think something like either 7 out of 10 or 8 out of 10 of the most commonly diagnosed chronic diseases in America. By the way, when I say chronic disease, I include cancer in that and heart disease and diabetes and autoimmune diseases are linked to what we eat, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, people think, oh, what we eat determines how fat or skinny we are. No, it also determines, or at least uh, contributes to, the likelihood of you developing a particular type of cancer, or heart disease, or or, dementia. or high blood pressure, or Alzheimer's, dementia, yeah. Alzheimer's, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, multiple sclerosis. The list goes on and on. Psoriasis. Uh, it's incredible. The list is so long, mm-hmm. and it's linked to what we put in our bodies, which makes perfect sense because the food is not just calories in, calories out. The food we eat affects us on a cellular level. Food turn certain genes on and off. Mm-hmm. So like certain epigenetics. epigenetics, right? It also affects our gut and the microbiome and that affects our brain health and our immune health and uh, infl- inflammatory conditions, right? So like if you have a lot of skin problems, it could be problems with your gut. Mm-hmm. You might have dysbiosis, you might have bad bacteria overwhelming the good bacteria. Yeah. If you have, you know, um, IBS, which is a common thing these days diarrhea, constipation, etc. A lot of it is due to what's going on in your gut and that's directly due to what you're putting in your gut every day, right? Yeah. And about 70 to 80% of our immune system is in the gut as well. So for me, the biggest eye-opener in my studies was the link between food and health. 
mm-hmm. you know, on a, on a more granular level. Yeah, and I, I do want to say really quickly as we were talking about gut health that a lot of us know we hear probiotic, which is the good bacteria in our gut, but a lot of people don't hear about prebiotics, which is the food for the probiotics and the gut bacteria, the good gut bacteria. It's also very important not just to take a probiotic, but to also take prebiotic too. So I just want to add totally to talk right. about gut health that we kind of also just quickly mentioned that. Yeah, yeah and then just to add a quick sense to that, a prebiotic can be as simple as uh, vegetables, you know, high in fiber. Fruits are high in fiber. All plants are high in fiber. Whole grains uh, like farro or brown rice or wild rice, they're all high in fiber, leafy greens. So the more fiber you ingest from real food, the, they're all pre- fibrous prebiotic. So, you know, the, just focus on real food, basically. And yeah. What do you wish that you would have learned sooner? What we've, what we've been talking about. Every, all it's it. incredible. You know, I'm, I'm 37 and uh, I'm lucky <laughs> to be healthy. But in my, for most of my life, I was a hypochondriac mm-hmm. because I have a scary history of cancer in my family. Like mm-hmm. all my grandparents had cancer three out of four died of cancer. So I was, even as a healthy 20-something-year-old, like working out all the time, you know, my corporate days, I was always like, the cancer thing was in the back of my mind. Like, oh man, how long do I have? Mm. And now knowing what I know and how much of cancer cases are preventable based on lifestyle and dietary choices, I, I'm no longer hypochondriac. Mm. Like I'm a mild hypochondriac, right. I think it's genetic, <laughs> but uh, I'm not, I don't have that like crazy fear. Yeah, I feel in, much more in control over my uh, my health outlook and my lifespan. Yeah. So it, it's really empowering. Like learning what I've been learning, it has been extremely empowering and that's why I'm trying to spread it to as many people as possible because it's, once you realize you're much more in control than, than you think, you can start to make changes, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to the fatalistic, oh well, what it's meant to be, it's meant to be. My genetics, I can't help it. Like I have a family history of X. Well, yeah, but you, you, know, you also have a family history of uh, lifestyle habits and dietary habits. And even if you have a genetic predisposition, there's still 80% of it that's in your control. Yeah, so I would say Amazing. that's, yeah. What you wish you would have learned sooner. What I, yeah, I wish I learned this sooner. And, and it's 80% of my control. 80, yeah, and save myself the, 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 the suffering of uh, hypochondria and worrying about this or that or the other. Great. And so if any of our listeners want to get a hold of you, they want to check you out, they want to get a hold of you for health coaching, what is the best way to do that? Yeah, so, so I do a private one-on-one health coaching, but I also rolled out a group health coaching program um, that went really well. And the best way to get in touch is check out my website, maxhealthlifestyle.com. I'm also active on Instagram, so it's at maxhealthlifestyle. And you can find my email on the website. So again, maxhealthlifestyle.com. Yeah, that's the best way. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me, Max. It's been so awesome having you here and chatting with you. Thank you all so much for joining us for this conversation, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like us, tell your colleagues, your students, and your friends. Subscribe, write a review, and find us on Facebook at Lifelight Massage. You can also check out my website at lifelightmassage.com. Join me in two weeks for a talk with visceral manipulation instructor and practitioner, Peter Coppola. Thanks so much.